Israel and the Palestinians have begun negotiating over President Trump's new peace proposal. The media is calling the proposal pro-Israel because it allows some Jews to continue living and requires that Palestinians occasionally dance the horror at weddings while humming Hava Nagila, although they don't have to sing the words if they don't want to. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas immediately rejected the plan, saying that he might be willing to talk about a two-state solution, but only if the number of states is negotiable. Appearing at Strap-On Explosives Day at the local PLO elementary school, Abbas said, quote, The only way we can accept Israel's right to exist is if the word exist can be redefined to mean something else, like ice cream or underwear. We are completely willing to accept Israel's right to underwear so they won't be completely naked when we drive them into the sea, unquote. Abbas also objected to Israel's constantly reminding him that Palestinian was just another way of saying Philistine, and he added that he was sick and tired of Benjamin Netanyahu sending him those chocolates shaped like Donald Trump with little notes saying, eat this. The Israelis also voiced some objections to the deal, saying it didn't allow Israelis to build their houses in places where there are now Palestinian houses, and that it warned Jewish negotiators against downing a shot of vodka every time a Palestinian used the phrase, peace be upon him, even though it does get on your nerves after a while. Some Israelis and Palestinians have gotten together to try to develop their own separate peace proposal. That proposal includes some original provisions, like, for instance, Palestinians and Jews will only be able to continue killing one another until Jesus comes, whereupon they will immediately stop if you get what I'm saying, wink, wink. Jared Kushner, who developed the Trump peace proposal, said the PLO had not yet given a formal response, but had sent him some subtle signals like setting his pants on fire and blowing up his car. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. Well, we began this week by asking a simple question, how dumb does the left think we are? Turns out it's pretty easy to answer that question. They think we're really, really dumb. Oh, and they think we're racist, too. They think we're so dumb and racist that the dumb GOP has created a new ad about just how dumb and racist the left thinks we are. Here's the ad. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> and so that's partly him playing to their base. Anyone who supported this president is at best uh, looking the other way on racism. At best. You know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that, that, that Donald Trump's the smart one and they're, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> Trump always loves the, the low information guy. You elite us with your geography and your maps. Issue of, of racism across the country because that, that's his base. Your math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading, <laughs> you know, your geography. ends by saying they think you're a joke, prove them wrong in November. And yeah, they really seem to think we're dumb and racist. But here's a much more difficult question, a real mystery. Why on earth does the left think they're smart? Let's start with Don Lemon and his funny friends, Rick Wilson and Wajahat Ali first. They're on CNN. 
Are CNN seven or eight viewers smarter than conservatives? If you want to go by standard measurements, no. CNN viewers have about the same education levels as Rush Limbaugh listeners. On a recent nonpartisan news quiz, Trump voters scored substantially higher than Democrats, whom I assume make up most of CNN's audience. Democrats, I mean, who are stuck in airports. If you read Rick Wilson's writing, it's full of nasty self-certainty about things that simply are not true. During the Mueller investigation, Wilson continually predicted Trump's destruction for colluding with Russia. He didn't collude with Russia. He wasn't destroyed. Now he's claiming the GOP is terrified of John Bolton. He has a big article. I think it's in Rolling Stone. He says the crap is going to hit the fan. Only it's not. Wajahat Ali just spews anti-Trump venom all the time, which he's welcome to do, but it's not exactly a sign of genius. And as for Don Lemon, Trump is just right about the guy. He is the dumbest man on TV. He once speculated that a missing jet (laughs) flown into a black hole, and he advised one of Bill Cosby's rape rape victims that she should have just bitten his penis to save save herself. The guy is an idiot. Are Trump and his supporters racist? Well, a new Gallup poll shows that race relations in America have improved since Trump took office. People are 14% more satisfied with race relations today than when Obama left office. 36% satisfaction up from 22. And of course, minorities are doing far better in the job market than they ever have before. Sure, when leftists set the standards for what racism looks like, naturally, conservatives look like racist to them. But in reality world, where leftists fear to tread, there's nothing racist about us. The funny thing is, when leftists do the things they're really good at, they suddenly adopt the values of conservatives. Twitter and Ben and & Jerry's and Google and NBC, they may tout socialism and support Bernie Sanders, but they got rich and powerful through being good capitalists. Charles Murray, in his book Coming Apart, talks about how successful liberals may flagrantly display oh so much tolerance about sexual promiscuity, but they have their kids in wedlock. They get married. They work hard. They even go to church, a lot of them. See, what makes these guys successful and powerful enough to mock us is that they act like capitalist conservatives themselves. They act like we talk. But they think it makes them virtuous to disdain the values that gave them everything they have. It's not intelligence. It's got another name. It's called hypocrisy. If they were really intelligent and honest, they'd stop making fun of our silly accents and down-home ways and just admit we're right about almost everything. That's not going to happen, but I can dream. First, we will talk more about this, but first we will talk about Tacova's new sponsor, Tacova's. A couple of days ago, at the beginning of this week, they sent me a pair of cowboy boots from Tacova's, T-E-C-O-V-A-S, and I was so busy, I didn't have time to try them on, and I don't usually wear cowboy boots, so I wasn't thinking about it, and finally I thought, oh, well, I better try that on before I have to read the ad. These things are so comfortable, and they look great. They are not what you think. You can order from so many different kinds, but they are just beautiful. They're handmade with high quality, full grain leathers by world-class bootmakers. They're built to be comfortable right out of the box. And I mean, I took these out of the box and put them on and they felt great. Tacovas cuts out the middleman and sells direct to you at an honest price that's truly amazing at this level of quality. And in addition to cowboy boots, Tacovas makes leather duffels, men's jeans, belts, billfolds, card cases, and more. So do what I do. Get yourself, do what I did. Get yourself a pair of Tacovas cowboy boots today at tacovas.com slash Clavin. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com slash Clavin. Tacovas.com slash Clavin. I, they tell you how to spell Tacovas. Everybody knows how to spell Tacovas. How do you spell Clavin? There are no E's in Clavin. There are no E's in Clavin. And you should remember this because 
the Clavenless weekend is almost upon us, but Another Kingdom comes out tomorrow, the final two episodes. And that means if you don't subscribe, you'll have to wait till Monday. I got a letter from a lady named Anna who wrote me this. And I, I read this because it is a well-written version of a letter I'm getting a lot. She says, I must tell you, I've been keeping up with every episode of Another Kingdom that comes out. I'm 26. I have never heard a story that touched me in this way. This story is so true. I just don't know how to describe it. It has brought me to see the world in a deeper way. I'm getting this comment a lot. So I thought, think you'd like to take a look. Since the start of this year, okay, since the start of this year, the stock market has hit record highs. Paul Krugman, Nobel winning uh, ec economist from Knucklehead Row in the, the op-ed section of the New York Times, after there was a little dip in the stock market when Donald Trump was elected, and he wrote, if the question is when markets will recover, a first pass answer is never, okay? Trump killed Qasem Soleimani. All this year, this is all in January, the Washington Post and CNN predicted World War III. They all said, oh, it was, this is going to unite the Iranians. And instead, the Iranians have taken to the street protesting their leaders because they realize they've been lied to. And Trump has behaved with restraint and wisdom that has kept a lid on the violence so far. Trump, I think it was yesterday, signed the new NAFTA agreement. They said that couldn't happen. He's got a preliminary deal with China. He said that couldn't happen. In Davos... In Davos, where all the elites meet to greet and eat, right, Trump, remember they made fun of him last year? He was there and, oh, he was, he's such a bully and he's so unclassy and all this stuff. This year, even the New York Times was admitting that he is the new Davos man. Why? Because what Donald Trump does has worked. You know, it, it's so much of this is a, a question of behavior. So much of it is the way they behave. Barack Obama behaved like the leftist elites. He had the elegance and Trump doesn't have the elegance and he talks the way he talks like a New Yorker from Queens. But they're wrong about everything. And they because they all act the same and because they all think, ah, well, we have the class and these people, they have funny accents and they wear funny MAGA hats and they don't look like us and they don't talk like us and they don't know all the stuff we know. They think that makes people dumb. See, that's because they never get out. They need to get out more. Because when you get out and talk to people, sometimes people talk different than you. Sometimes they dress different than you. Sometimes they don't act the way you do. And sometimes they just know more than you do. And that is obviously what Trump has proved to be the case. So let's take a look. I mean, they're so brilliant. I think we have to stand back and look at the way they are talking about what's going on. Yesterday, the impeachment trial in the Senate. This was kind of an interesting day, actually. There was, it was Q&A. Senators would pass John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. They would pass him questions, and then John Roberts would ask the questions of the legal teams, the two legal teams on both sides. Now, Mitch McConnell is now saying that he may, he said before, he might not have the votes to stop there being witnesses. This has been the big question, and the left and the media have been saying, oh, if you don't have witnesses, it's a cover-up. But only the witnesses we want, not the witnesses you want. Only the witnesses we want. If you don't have these witnesses, it's a cover-up. So now Mitch McConnell is saying, yeah, we've got the votes to not have the witnesses. Our friends at the Media Research Center, whom I just love, I love these guys. They do such good work, and they have such great resources. They put out a uh, video. I'm going to have to describe it to you, because if you're not watching, if you're just listening, you won't see it. Every other voice you hear is either the media today talking about witnesses or the next voice will be the media talking about witnesses, having witnesses at Bill Clinton's uh, impeachment in 1999. Okay. So it's, it's an exchange. One, one is saying it in 2020, same media. The next one is saying it about Bill Clinton's uh, impeachment trial about having witnesses. Here it is. What is the minimum 
Democrats need to see for this to be a fair trial. Is the minimum Mitch McConnell approving witnesses? You had your chance to call any witness you wanted during the House of Representatives, during the Judiciary Committee proceedings. You decided you didn't need any witnesses then. You never call any witnesses in the House. Why are you insisting on witnesses in the Senate? A trial without witnesses is not a trial, full stop. But can you see why a number of people, and not necessarily people that are supporters of the president, would, would watch and listen to the managers saying, you need witnesses, you need witnesses. You need the witnesses. We need witnesses. We should hear from the witnesses. And say to themselves, you know what? This is now getting purely political. You don't have trials yeah. without witnesses. I've never heard of a trial without witnesses. But senators don't really want any more witnesses. But here's why we need witnesses. Why go through all this, uh, this business about witnesses? Why not just get it done? This is exhibit A for why we need a real trial in the Senate with real facts, real documents, and real witnesses. But if you have witnesses, it'll, it's going to add months to this thing. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I mean, same guys, same guys say, no witnesses, no witnesses for Clinton, witnesses for Trump. We need witnesses for Trump. Here's the thing. While Donald Trump was killing Soleimani while he was getting record uh, stock market returns, while he was signing deals with China and with uh, Mexico and Canada, while he was doing all this, the Democrats were impeaching him. And why were they impeaching him? Because they thought, not because they thought they'd get him out of office, but because they thought they could campaign on a cover-up. But they don't understand. The internet is here now. We can see how hypocritical they are. The worst cover-up ever. They wasted, they wasted their time doing this while Trump was running the country. So let's take a look at some of their experts, smart, intelligent. You know, we're just boomer rubes here, so we're just going to take a look at some of their intelligence so we can learn. Yesterday, Alan Dershowitz made the argument that you couldn't, can't impeach Trump on his motives, on his thoughts, because all politicians are looking out for themselves. So this is uh, this is not this is Dershowitz on the floor making that argument. Uh, cut 14. Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And mostly you're right. Your election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected, in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. He's saying he can't impeach a guy for his motivations if he thinks his motive, if he's trying to do the best thing he thinks for the country. So let's listen, since we're, we're just rubes here who voted for Trump and support, we're dummies, let's go to CNN, where Don Lemon works. I mean, this is where Don Lemon works. And hear the expert commentary of former Clinton press secretary Joe Lockhart talking to Aaron Burnett. This is cut six. This is un-American. This is what you hear from Stalin. This is what you hear from Mussolini, what you hear from, authority, from Hitler, from all the authoritarian people who rationalized uh, you know, in some cases, genocide based on what was in the public interest. Um, it, it was a startling um, and I, I still can't believe he went on the floor of the Senate and, and made that argument. I mean, Scott, you know, the, you had that moment, then you had questions coming in. And and, and an interesting thing about questions for, for people who weren't watching all day, right? Some of them came from pairs or groups of senators. 
I just wanted to play that extra bit of Aaron Lockhart so you see she doesn't push back on Joe Lockhart saying Alan Dershowitz making that argument is like Stalin and Hitler. See, now you you guys are just rube, you're just rube Trump supporters. So you don't have the brains of this Clinton aide on CNN to understand that Alan Dershowitz making a legal argument is the same as Stalin bursting into your home, sending soldiers to burst into your home, drag off your wife, rape her, shoot her, then charge you for the bullet or Hitler pouring people on moss into cattle cars and gassing them to that. That's the same. It's the same thing. You just don't see it because you're a rube and they're so smart. You want to see how smart they are? The view. I mean, let's let's try and get, get you down from the high heights, the intellectual heights of CNN. Let's go down to the view where you might be able to understand what they're talking about. You, may, you know, They're a little bit more, you know, populist. They talk to the people. So they had Alan Dershowitz on and they questioned him about his argument. According to what I'm reading, you're the only constitutional scholar who goes with that line. There is not one other who agrees with you. Not let one. Me, let me be very clear about that. In 1867, the okay, dean wait, of the wait, Columbia wait, wait. Law School. <laughs> Alan. Yeah, no, you know, this, in 1492, you know, me, Columbus sailed the seas. But listen, I need, I need just to move on. So no, you're no, saying no, no, now no, that no, you no, need no, a you're, crime? You're not going to get me to move on until I make this point. Okay, well, when here's the, here's the thing, Alan. You're not going to get any time because you got four people trying to ask you questions. And so I'm asking you to move faster. I have to make this point. Shortly after the Constitution was enacted, the dean of the Columbia Law School said that the weight of authority was in favor of it being a crime. Now the academics all say it isn't. Why? Because Donald Trump is being impeached. If Hillary Clinton were being impeached, they'd all be on my side. That's just baloney. They are too stupid to know how stupid they are. You don't want to hear none of that history stuff. We're that. We're the elites. We don't want you boomer rubes talking about your history. What's history got to do with the law? What's precedent got to do with the law? See, you guys are just too dumb. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm even talking to you. You're just too stupid to understand what precedent has to do with the law. You should be watching The View and getting your mind elevated to the point where you don't want to hear nothing from nobody. nobody. You know, George, it, it's great. I mean, we've got universities here where they're protesting when people bring a contra- uh, an opinion that contradicts theirs and they shut them down and say only they should have free speech. And then they wonder why they think they're smart. They think they're smart because they never hear the right opinion because they shout it down because they're too stupid to listen to it. Unbelievable stuff. It is unbelievable stuff. It is a mystery. It is just a mystery. It really is about class. It really is about class, not intelligence. And they're confusing those two things. And they don't understand that since they set the rules of class, of course they have class. They made it up. All right. Let us talk about ebb sleep. As you know, I never sleep. I don't sleep. Nothing I'm going to do is ever going to make me sleep. But I did test out this ebb sleep. It is a wearable solution that fits over the forehead and cools your forehead, which does slow down your thoughts. And I have to say it did. It made me relax and it gave me this distant feeling, which I'm sure would put me to sleep if I ever sleep. And the thing about it is, is you don't want to take drugs. I, you know, I, I think just taking drugs because you can't get to sleep is a bad idea. And if you've tried everything else, just try this thing because it really is different. And it is, it's a natural, uh, you know, solution to lying awake, just worrying about stuff. It ha- If you want to have the energy to do things you love again by getting the sleep you need, Ebb's natural solution. It has no morning side effects. It allows you to get back to your peak 
performance. Our listeners can now try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for. Go to tryebb.com slash Clavin. That's T-R-Y-E-B-B.com slash Clavin. Tryebb.com slash Clavin. Order today to get the sleep you need and deserve. They keep telling you how to spell stuff like Tryebb. Who can't spell Tryebb? It's Clavin. How do you spell Clavin? K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no so one really good question came up on the uh, on the floor, which was about from Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are two of the senators who were, you know, they're moderates, as they call them. And they are thinking, well, maybe we should have witnesses. And they're the votes that are kind of unsure, along with uh, Mittens, Romney. And they asked I, what I thought was a really good question. Here it is. Before Vice President Biden formally entered the 2020 presidential race in April 2019, Did President Trump ever mention Joe or Hunter Biden in connection with corruption in Ukraine to former Ukrainian President Poroshenko or other Ukrainian officials, President Trump's cabinet members or top aides or others? If so, what did the president say to whom and when? I can't point to something in the record that shows President Trump at an earlier time mentioning specifically something related to Joe or Hunter Biden. It is in the record that he spoke to President Poroshenko twice about corruption in the Ukraine, both in June of uh, 2017 and again in September of 2017. So that's a that's a really smart question, because the question is, was he thinking about this before this aid came up? And remember, the whole, the whole thing here, I mean, I have to laugh because this is all happening while Trump is killing terrorists in Iran and while the stock market's booming and while people have jobs and while people are saying, hey, you know what? Race relations have gotten better under Donald Trump. All this is happening while this is going on. And the aid went to Ukraine. And remember, all these Democrat senators and House and people, congressmen, they all voted against sending lethal aid to Ukraine under Obama. Obama sent them little plastic dolls and he <laughs> sent them, you know, like blankets that they could kind of snuggle up to while they were being killed by Come the Russians. On. <laughs> but, but Come Trump, on, man. Trump sent them missiles. And by the way, he sent those things anyway. This was had nothing to do with the corruption. He, when he was sending the rest of the money, he said, you know, you should investigate corruption. And he mentioned Joe Biden because he has a big mouth and he doesn't think, oh, this is going to look bad. So that question was perfectly good. The good a good question. Was he worried about this before the campaign began? Because in order to believe that he was holding them up because he wanted to get Joe Biden, you have to believe he's afraid of running against Joe Biden. I'm not thinking, I don't think he's really afraid of running against Joe Biden. So if they're making the argument, if they're making the argument that he was out to get Joe Biden, you also have to make the argument that there was nothing to get. Because if Joe Biden was corrupt, then he had the perfect right to ask that that be investigated before sending them aid. So Hakeem Jeffries gets up on behalf of the prosecution and he says, you know, we want witnesses, but no, 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 no Joe Biden. (laughs) This is their big argument. Well, it's my view that Hunter Biden is not a relevant witness, but I have great respect for Joe Manchin and for all of the senators on both sides of the aisle. And ultimately, uh, they, in the first instance, will make this decision in terms of the witnesses uh, that should be called Although, as Senator Manchin indicated, I do believe that Chief Justice John Roberts should be the ultimate arbiter and referee in terms of deciding relevance. So this has been the argument from the beginning. And the other thing that they just keep saying is that the idea they went from saying that the idea of Ukrainian 
interference in the election has been debunked. They keep saying this over and over again. That's not true. The Ukrainians openly tried to interfere with the election. They openly stood up for Hillary Clinton in the election. So that's, that is just not true. I mean, if we're going to worry that the Russians took out some ads in Facebook, the fact that Ukrainian officials came out in support of Hillary Clinton is at about the same level of interference. But now they've bled over into saying there is absolutely no proof that Joe Biden was corrupt because his son, Hunter Biden, had this job at Burisma where he was making tens of thousands of dollars a month. I mean, I think his salary was 50,000, but it turned out to be 80,000 by the time it was all finished, where he had no knowledge. (laughs) The only knowledge he had was his father's phone number. That was the only knowledge he had for energy, about energy. So this idea that this has been debunked is entirely untrue. And that's the uh, argument that Eric Hirschman uh, makes. He's Trump's uh, he's one of Trump's lawyers, and he makes the argument that you keep saying this, but just because you keep saying this, it doesn't make it true. The real question is this. Is corruption related to the energy sector in Ukraine run by a corrupt Ukrainian oligarch who was paying our vice president's son and his son's business partner millions of dollars for no apparent legitimate reason while his father was overseeing our country's relationship with Ukraine, merit any public inquiry, investigation, or interest? The answer is yes. And simply by saying it didn't happen is ridiculous. And with all due respect to the House managers inciting to our children, the message to our children, especially when you're overseeing a corruption and trying to root it out in another country is to make sure your children aren't benefiting from it. That's what should be happening. Are you corrupt? <laughs> On this matter of corruption, class really does play into it. You know I, how I keep talking about, I keep hammering home the fact that when you're watching these news guys, you're watching the guys who covered up for Harvey Weinstein. You're watching the guys who covered up for Jeffrey Epstein. You're watching the guys who covered up for Matt Lauer. They continually covered up for the and, and hid the abuse of women and then released the Trump tape where he said, women, when you're famous, will let you do whatever you want, let them grab them and all this stuff. They released that just when they thought it would hurt Donald Trump. And all the women said, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. But no, none of them, none of them is protesting George Stephanopoulos. None of them is protesting NBC covering up for Harvey Weinstein. That's not what they do. It's just all controlled. It's controlled hysteria. It's like they, they manipulate people. But the thing is, you, so you sit there and you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If ABC killed the Jeffrey Epstein story, as we know they did it, they spiked that story, why hasn't anybody asked George Stephanopoulos, hey, you know, George, you were at Jeffrey Epstein's homecoming party uh, after he was convicted the first time, you went to that party, you killed, this story was killed on your watch, you used to kill stories about women uh, for Bill Clinton. Did you have anything to do with this? I mean, nobody has asked him that question. Not one reporter, not one painfully curious, empowered by the First Amendment, speaking truth to power reporter has asked George Stephanopoulos that question. The only time you hear that question is if you happen to be listening to this program here. Okay, that's the only time you hear it. He hasn't even had to deny it. Why? It's because he's one of them. Okay, he's one of them. It is a matter of class and class admits those people who are like themselves, right? And if you wear a MAGA hat and if you talk with a funny accent and if you don't dress up the way they dress, I mean, I know that, listen, I know this stuff because I am one of them, right? I do have that, you know, I have I have literally dined with lords and ladies. I know how to use a soup spoon. I know all that stuff, so I'm allowed to mix with them. And believe me, when you talk to them, I've heard a lot more polite 
classy racism from liberals than I've ever heard from conservatives, who a lot of times, because a lot of conservatives are working class, they work with people of all different kinds, and they just don't think about it anymore. They don't, it, they don't worry about it anymore. So believe me, all of this stuff, all of this high moral level nonsense, all of this high intelligence level nonsense. You talk to people from the State Department. I mean, I've talked to people from the State Department. They're all brilliant. They don't know anything. <laughs> really don't. They think they all talk to each other and they don't get any common sense from ordinary people. So who is, you know, Joe Biden is their guy. He is now their their guy they're hoping because they don't want to get caught with Bernie Sanders. So what is Joe, how is Joe Biden taking it? All these people talking about the corruption of his son, Hunter Biden. Well, he is just going to beat them up. I mean, this is the thing about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is tough. Here is cut number 11. General, you're on the debate stage. He starts making fun of your age, your mental state. I mean, I said, come on, Donald. Come on, man. Press always asks me, don't I wish I were debating him? No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. I'm looking forward to this, man. You walk behind me in a debate. Come here, man. They asked me, would I like to debate this gentleman? And I said, no. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Or let's start a real physical revolution if you're talking about it. The idea that I'd be intimidated by Donald Trump. He's the bully used to make fun when I was a kid in a stutter and I'd smack him in the mouth. Would you really fight the president, sir? I was talking about high school. Go back and read what I said. How many push-ups you want to do here, pal? Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. I will beat him like a drum. I will beat him like a drum. Look, uh, look, here's the deal. Get your words straight, Jack. <laughs> that's, that's their candidate they're, because they're so much smarter than we are. They don't have Donald Trump. They have Joe Biden who's going to beat Donald Trump up. They're going to send, send him to beat Donald Trump up because they're so much smarter than we are. The guy is, who is it who once said that Joe Biden is as dumb as an ashtray? <laughs> It's really something. It is, again, the mystery, the mystery of why they think they're smart. The answer to that mystery is because of class. They are all in the same class and they recognize a certain kind of behavior and they recognize it as virtuous and they recognize it as intelligence and they do not know what they do not know. That really is the problem. They don't know. They do not know. It's just like Socrates said. They don't know. They know nothing. And that's what makes them unwise. Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. I have put these ring doorbells up. These are such great things. I put them up in my house. When somebody comes to the gate, you can see them no matter where you are. You don't have to be in the house. You can see them. You can talk to them. You can be traveling around. You know who's coming to your house. And the thing about it that I really like is not only do they make you safer, not only do they keep your house safer, but they make you feel safer. Like I said, I'm up all night. Sometimes I hear a noise. I hear something. I don't want to have to ask my wife to get up and check, you know, because she might get hurt. So I look instead at the ring and you can see what's going on outside. They have a HD video, two-way audio features on ring devices, and you can get them. uh, You can get a ring starter kit right now with a video doorbell and motion activated floodlight cam, which is also cool. If they step on the property, the floodlight's gone. Bad guys don't like it when they can be seen, so they get uh, gone. As a listener, you have a special offer on the Ring Starter Kit. The Starter Kit is everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. How do you get it? You go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. Anyone shows up at your house, you say, how do you spell Clavin? There are no easy things. If he knows how to spell Clavin, just open fire immediately. 
All right, let's talk about something serious for a minute. Instead of leftist intelligence, let's talk about abortion. Since the passing of Roe v. Wade, over 60 million preborn children have been killed in the womb. 60 million children who never had a chance to give the world their love and countless young women who have been harmed physically and emotionally. When Ben Shapiro streamed his podcast live from the March for Life in D.C. last year, our advertisers were targeted by left-wing media watchdogs, and we lost a lot of revenue. This wasn't the first time, nor will it most likely be the last time, that we attacked in a censorship attempt to shut down the fight for life. And sadly, we're also not the only targets. Live Action is one of the biggest voices in the pro-life movement. They continue to do some of the most important work in the space, from raising awareness and education on the abortion issue to undercover videos that expose Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics for horrific human rights abuses. They've been banned from advertising on Twitter for their calls to defund Planned Parenthood, and they've been banned from Pinterest altogether for, quote, spreading medical misinformation. They have also seen their advertising efforts and their online distribution restricted, depending on the platform. That's why our DailyWire.com members are so important. Your membership helps keep our cameras on and our microphones turned up, even when the left pressures our sponsors. That's why from now until January 31st, which is tomorrow, a portion of any DailyWire.com membership will be donated to Live Action with promo code LIVEACTION, all one word, to support awareness and education around the world on this issue. This is your last chance, so head on over to dailywire.com and make your pro-life voice heard. There's only a few days left, just one day left, to take advantage of this, so join dailywire.com and make your pro-life voice heard before it's too late. We've got to take a break from Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com and subscribe. Get that deal. Get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You can be in the mailbag next week, and you can hear Another Kingdom. All right. So in keeping with our theme today of why, 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 oh, why, that's how we should say it. Why, oh, why does the left think they're smart? Yesterday, the European Parliament voted to ratify the Brexit divorce deal. This is kind of, you know, Americans, uh, I've told you this, uh, the Douglas Adams, the guy who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he moved to Santa Barbara shortly before he died and we became kind of friendly. And I said to him, how do you like it here? in America. And he said, the news blackout is hard to take because in Britain, Britain is a very small country. It's the size of Oregon. The entire, all of the United Kingdom is the size of Oregon. And so they hear news from around the world. We're so big that we don't hear a lot of news from around the world because, you know, Oregon and New York are so far away from one another. That's hearing from around the world to us. So we don't always pay attention to what's going on. So Brexit's sort of happened very quietly. Remember, Boris Johnson won that huge victory uh, for the conservatives in the election. Jeremy Corbyn there, Bernie Sanders, was destroyed. And that sealed the deal that finally, finally, this is after four years, after four years uh, when the British public said, we want to leave the European Union. Finally, they sealed the deal. Boris Johnson promised he'd get it done. He did get it done. There's still some people who are saying they don't like the deal that he got. It still has them too much uh, connected to the EU, but still, it is the end. And like this, this is a, an important thing. Margaret Thatcher hated this idea. She saw no reason why the fate of England should be tied to Europe and why people who lived so differently and had different languages and different ways of being. The Greeks don't live like the Germans live. The Germans are very hardworking and thrifty. The Greeks are a little bit more tropical. They like to lie out in the sun a little bit more. Why should the German economy be tied to the Greek economy? Why should Britain be tied to it? Why should... Uh, Angela Merkel in, in Germany decide to let in a million refugees 
who can then travel between borders without a passport because they're all supposed to be one federation like the United States. Why should it be that way? The British said, no, we want our sovereignty back. And now they're going to get their sovereignty back. And personally, I think that once they leave, it's all going to uh, it's all going to come apart. I think that the British people are going to see that it's not so bad for the British, that it works out pretty well. And again, I've said this before, but the British have been right about a lot of things in history that the, Euro- the rest of Europe was wrong about, like the Inquisition, like Hitler, like Napoleon. I mean, these are things that the Brits got right, that the rest of Europe got wrong. So Nigel Farage, who has been in the European uh, uh parliament and has been fighting and fighting to get them out was just in a celebratory mood and explained to them this is while they were having this vote where the EU had to confirm the Brexit vote. uh, He basically said to them, this is why this is happening. And here he is. There's an historic battle going on now across the West in Europe, America and elsewhere. It is globalism against populism. And you may loathe populism, But I tell you a funny thing, it's becoming very popular. (laughs) And it has great benefits. No more financial contributions. No more European Court of Justice. No more common fisheries policy. No more being talked down to. No more being bullied. No more Guy Verhofstadt. I mean, I mean, what's not to like? I know you're going to miss us. I know you want to ban our national flags, but we're going to wave you goodbye and we'll look forward in the future to working with you as sovereign. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off. How dare you? <laughs> so Nigel Farage is waving. They all, all the British uh, MPs stood up and they're waving the uh, Union Jack and they cut off their... Um, their microphone saying, if you disobey the rules, you're not allowed to fly the flag in here. So if you disobey the rules, well, that is the whole thing in a nutshell, right? You can't speak as Englishmen. You can only speak as Europeans. They've had enough. And how hard is this to understand that people want to run their own countries? Well, I'll tell you something. It is hard to understand. I want to go back in time, and I had to look very hard to find this because it's not around much. Van Jones. Now, Van Jones is not a stupid guy. He is a smart guy, and he is uh, sometimes can be a reasonable guy, but he is a leftist guy. And this was his reaction four years ago when Britain, when Brit- the British voted to leave. Okay, this is the the Facebook post he put up, and he said, "You know, I know you're not paying attention to this. I know you just want to be Netflix and chill, but you have to listen. This is what just happened. This is four years ago. Here's Van Jones. The UK just voted to." Leave the European Union, so-called Brexit, Britain exit, Brexit. You haven't cared about it. Nobody cares about it. It's just summertime. We're all happy. This is the end of the world as we know it. Okay? Please take this seriously. What happened? What happened was you have this complete right-wing, crazy, racist, xenophobic horror show that breaks out in the UK. They don't want no immigrants. Does that sound familiar? They don't want multiculturalism. Does that sound familiar? They don't want to have nothing to do with nobody, period, except for people who look just like them, basically white folks in Britain. Stop it. Get some help. 
So, so think about this for a minute, right? He's talking about more than half of the British electorate. That's who he's talking about. And by the way, he's talking about a country that is not this country. As I've often said, the countries in Europe are, in fact, founded on, a cer- on certain racial premises. There was such a thing as being a German, as being an Englishman, as being a Frenchman. They are not America. America is founded on an idea, right, which means that anybody who accepts that idea, who is willing to pick up the burden of being free, is willing to take on the personal responsibility, willing to take on the values of America, can become an American. I lived in Britain for seven years. Nobody ever thought I was English. You move here, nobody cares what your accent is, nobody cares what you look like, you can be an American. That is the difference between our countries. So he's talking about a different, an entirely different cultural setup. Why is he in such a panic? Why is he saying this is the end of the world as we know it? Because it's the end of the world as he expected it to be. That's why. It is the end of the the world in which they, they make the decisions and we just do what we're told because we're racist, we're stupid. This is the thing. He's, that's Van Jones. It just sounds just like Don Lemon there. I mean, it is the same thing. These guys are so racist. They're so, the only reason they could do anything, the only reason they could take away our power, take and demand national sovereignty and demand states' rights. They used to say this about states' rights. The only reason they could possibly have is because they don't like people of color. That's what he's saying. But maybe they don't like Angela Merkel deciding how many people, how many strangers, how many people who don't accept British values come into Britain and at what time? Maybe they just want to make their own rules about how much salt is going to be in their potato chips. Because once you give the power to, you know, the administrative state, those are the kinds of rules they pass. Those are the kinds of actual rules that the EU passed, what shape a banana should be, what, you know, they had all this crazy stuff. Because once you let people uh, have power over you and once they get detached from the people who give them power, they'll do anything and they want to control everything you do. You know, there was a story in the New York Times today, un- an unbelievable story. And I've talked about, a, a, I've talked a lot about the deaths from despair that went on and grew until in a developed country, this is very rare, it doesn't happen very often, our life expectancy went down. And it went down because people were killing themselves, by which I mean they were taking drugs and they were doing all the things that kills them. Life expectancy, according to the New York Times, a former newspaper, life expectancy increased for the first time in four years in 2018. The federal government said Thursday, raising hopes that a benchmark of the nation's health may finally be stabilizing after a rare and troubling decline that was driven by a surge in drug overdoses. Remember when Donald Trump had his first inaugural address and he said, you know, there's a, it's American carnage out there, all the closed factories, uh, all the people are out of work. And everybody said, what a dark, that's so dark, that's really dark. Well, no, he was saying that globalization, this idea that they were the experts who were going to take care of it, that globalization had not been that good for the American people. And it was, our people were dying from it. Steven Pinker, brilliant guy in his book, Enlightenment now. He says, you know, it's true that the world's poor have gotten richer in part at the expense of the American lower middle class. And if I were an American politician, I would not publicly say that the trade-off was worth it. But as citizens of the world, considering humanity as a whole, we have to say that the trade-off is worth it. That is the voice of the intellectual. That is the voice of the people who think you're stupid and racist for believing in your country, for believing that your country's values are worth pursuing, for believing that if we're going to have a global world, and there's no stopping it, we are going to have a global world, that the values of America are worth preserving, and the only way 
to preserve American values is to preserve the American people. Steven Pinker is not a citizen of the world. If he lived in Saudi Arabia, he'd be dead by now just for thinking the things he thinks. He lives and thrives on American values. So do we all. God bless them. And we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of the world. All right, let me end here with a final reflection. Uh, the Super Bowl is this uh, week, th- this weekend, obviously. And uh, here is a story from... Uh, Live News, a pro-life site. Fox Sports apparently has no problem airing controversial ads during the 2020 Super Bowl, just not a pro-life commercial. According to NBC News, this year's big game between Kansas City and San Francisco will include a commercial featuring drag queens, LGBTQ activists. However, however, a a pro-life ad, an anti-abortion ad, they've asked for permission and they haven't gotten permission to play this ad. So we're going to play a a minute of it uh, right now. She look me in the eye. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that I shouldn't exist? That I should be dead? That I deserve to die that day. Can you look me in the eye and tell me that my very survival was a mistake? A terrible toll on society? Can you look me in the eye and tell me that in my most vulnerable state, I was nothing more than a parasite? A collection of body parts. Subhuman? Worthless? In 1952, I survived multiple abortion attempts. If they're so smart, how come they can't even listen to our arguments? It's because our arguments are right. That's why they can't listen to them. That's why they shout us down. That's why they censor us. That's why there are no comedians on our side. That's why there are no movies being made by our side. That's why there are no ads allowed on the Super Bowl from our side, because they are just so smart that no idea can get past their minds. They can only believe what they already believe, and they don't want to hear from dumb folks like us who might actually be right. The Clavenless Weekend is upon you. Enjoy the Super Bowl and enjoy your life. It's a blessing from God. And make sure other people get that blessing as well. I'll be back on Monday. Survivors gather here on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review. And also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm